and welcome to the Invisible Oranges podcast. My name is John, and today we are joined by uh, most of Blood Incantation. I figure we can go around and all introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Brandon. Welcome to Invisible Oranges, right for the website. Um, yeah, I'm Isaac Falk, uh, drummer usually of Blood Incantation. I'm Jeff Barrett, bass normally. Uh, Blood Incantation. Now this record plays a couple different things. I'm Paul Riedel. I play guitar and vocals in Blood Incantation. And uh, you guys say like usually because this new album is very different than your other output uh, as Blood Incantation anyway. So I was curious if we can kind of dive into Time Wave Zero and why exactly you decided to take this these these ambient elements that were in your music before and made an entire album in that style. Well. It's pretty straightforward, to be honest. We are uh, we play cosmic death metal, and you can't really be very cosmic unless you make cosmic music. We got stickers that say "cosmic music" for cosmic people on them, and our music is even our metal is about the <clears throat> intersection of inner and outer space, the transcendence thereof. And we created an album which allows the fullest immersion into that landscape or mental headscape or whatnot. And uh, it's something we've been trying to do. Since we started the band in 2011, one of the very first things we decided uh, was second album, go green logo, like Morbid Angel, and the third album, go ambient. And we use ambient as a, mm-hmm. as a catch-all term because the music itself mm-hmm. is a lot more um, similar to our death metal. It draws from a lot of different styles. It draws from different subgenres or whatnot, and it presents it all in the usual blooded condition way of a synthesis that kind of dances through these different styles with the backbone of our dark cosmic cinematic landscape as the uh, as the impetus for the whole spectrum. And uh, this isn't the first time that you've experimented with cosmic or cosmic or however you want to say music, uh, Paul, uh, as you had the Hovercraft project. I was curious to how you make the distinction between these two. Same way you make a distinction between a death metal band and a death doom band or a technical band and a funeral doom band or a punk band and a ska band, you know, the idea that something is going to have a similarity to another band, like, you know, when people say, for instance, just with our bands, they'll be like, here comes the, the blood incantation, and people on Metal Archives are like, this sounds like Spectral Voice, or they'll get a Wayfarer record and be like, this sounds like Stormkeep, you know, they just put it together because they see it on the screen, you know, that doesn't actually have any relevance to each other besides the personnel. And, uh, you know, if everything using synthesizers is going to be in the same spectrum, then Cannibal Corpse and the Beatles are the same genre because they both play electric guitars and drums. So <laughs> it's really quite a reductive term um, sure. to be like, this is ambient or, or it's not or death metal or whatnot. Um, you know, we all love prog rock, prog rock, stuff like Tangerine Dream, you know, people like John Carpenter. Um, you know, we... That was what we started this band when Isaac and I first met. We were like, oh, yeah, you like this sick cult death metal shit, too. And <clears throat> you also like really crazy music like Gong or Klaus Schultz or Amandul or Popol Vuh or all these weird crowd and spike and prog bands. And that's informed our songwriting. It's informed our aesthetic. We have lyrical or uh, layout references to these bands since 2011. And it's all part of the greater canon of what Bloody Contagion is, which is not just a death metal band, you know what I mean? Even the death metal yeah. play is not just great death metal, even though the fact that it's crazy makes it more death metal than people who try to play 
four on the floor, verse chorus, verse chorus. I'm in a sewer and I've never killed anybody, you know, whatever these kids are into these days. We've always said that our band is basically a 70s death metal band. Like we've always kind of had that idea that we are, uh, our lineage is also within the prog, you know, psychedelic vein. I mean, that's been the, the case even since the beginning. And like Paul said, that's something that's driven the band uh, from the very beginning. So it was a logical continuation for us to explore that kraut, prog, ambient, whatever you want to call it, um, progressive electronic music that we're already, you know, very much familiar with and have already integrated into our albums. The integration has been a deliberate process where, you know, starting from our first demo, man, the first studio recorded sound of Blood Incantation that anybody on the internet could claim to have heard is a singing bowl and a synthesizer oscillating, a little percolating up and then starting the interdimensional extinction demo. That was recorded in 2013, so we already had singing bowls, acoustic guitars, analog synthesizers, you know what I mean? So it's really not out of character at all. It's the most Blood Incantation record, not only because it's the, the you know, the pinnacle of the concept of this cosmic inner space, outer space, metaphysical conspiracy, what have you. And it's also the first one where all four of us had a, a equal say in what the music sounds like. It's the most collaborative blood incantation record. It's got everyone's most involvement in the writing and behind the scenes and the production and performance of the layout. It's literally the it's the blood incantation record. You know, we make death metal because it's de because it's sick and we like death metal. But what what represents Blood Incantation is a record like Time Wave Zero. What we've intended to do the entire time has not been to just crush all these other bands with sicker riffs and more tours, but to make something that makes an actual impact on the mental, spiritual, you know, psychedelic, emotional la landscape of of these metalheads or the metal people, the 21st century, whatever we're in right now, simulation or whatever scene you want to reference. The only way to stand out for us is to be truest to ourselves, and Time Wave Zero is all four of us just being like, this is what we want to do. That said, we will still play death metal. We're going to go play some in a few weeks. So it's like, you know, we're going to still make metal music. It's going to be crazier next time. Even people think that uh, we topped out with Hidden History. The next record's going to be like Hidden History on 45, dropping DMT in a fucking 70s prog planetarium wormhole. People are not ready. They weren't ready for the last two records we put out. They're not ready for the ambient one, and they're certainly not ready for when we put them together on purpose. You think that that combination of influences from outside of death metal and from before death metal is something that is particularly lacking in the modern scene where people just are using fourth-generation cannibal corpse riffs instead of looking to what came before or what came outside? Personally, yeah. We, we talk about that all the time, man. Um, you know, one of the things that sets all legendary musicians of any genre apart in history is they all listen to a diverse array of music. And one thing that has always um, inhibited a certain strain of death metal people and music, even since the 90s, is this dependency on this little microcosm of what is, what is acceptable or cool. And, you know, you could... Everybody like, you know, Trey and Chuck and Luke LeMay, all these guys making crazy genre-defining transcendental death metal, all are adamant about transcending the limitations of the death metal aesthetic and being, you know, 
just pure metal, pure, pure music, crazy, uh, crazy cosmic uh, expression of consciousness and whatnot. And, you know, that goes for, you know, people in punk bands that, you know, the best punk bands are made by people who don't only listen to punk. The best death metal bands are made by people who don't only listen to death metal. In fact, I would, uh, I would honestly be a little surprised or disappointed in myself if I had any death metal records in here that were made by four people who only listen to death metal. I, I kind of try to avoid that because that's what's all over the internet and bothering people at shows for seven bands in a row. It's like, we just want to make music that is personal and distinctive and uh, interesting for us to listen to as fans. You know what I mean? We don't, uh, we don't care about being cool. We don't care if some dude... Now we're on Discord, so they're always on here hiding from us, talking their shit. Now we're in it. We're in the Discord right now. We don't care if they're here or not. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why the band started in the first place is because we liked weirder bands. I mean, that was the whole thing is that Paul and I, and then, of course, Jeff and Morris, we all, all four of us, are, are fans of metal bands that are not just a metal band. I mean, of course, we still, I still love, you know, classic, regular metal bands, but like, I would say my favorite bands are always the bands that transcend whatever genre they came out of. You know, Opeth being a prime example. Um, of course, now maybe not. I'm not as big of a fan of their last few records, but you know, as a band just in their trajectory, I would say that's like a great example of a band that like even even their first recordings were first weird, record. weird. No demo. They did no demo. They got signed to Candlelight off a rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't even do the demo. Yeah, and know, like any of those bands, I mean, Enslaved is a great example also. Um, but any of these bands that like started in this like realm, I mean, even Emperor, you know, is like, you know, these bands expanded to the point where you like can't really classify them anymore. And that's not to say like Cannibal, obviously Cannibal Corpse is sick. I mean, when we when we toured with them, it was awesome to see them play that every night, you know, but like... Those aren't the bands. also. They don't have to do something different because they set the standard for that style. They, they yeah. you know, they're just in their lane doing their. They're doing their thing better than all these fourth generation derivative versions, yeah. you know. So but they don't. They don't have to impress any. That's not to say that like you know we don't like that stuff. But what brought us together was the appreciation, and especially going back to the seventies, all these like progressive bands that. The only reason why these things all got lumped under the name progressive rock is because they were all expanding what rock was in different ways. I mean, they're all so different. You know, there's like everything from magma to, you know, you got gentle giant or can, you know, the, all those three things sound completely different. So it's not to say that progressive music, just like any other kind of music, it's like the genre doesn't define it. It's the bands that define what what they are, you know. Also, early death metal was the same. Bands like Autopsy and a band like Gorguts, they sound different, but they play the same genre overall. But it's its honestly, these types of ideas like genres, this is a, uh, a, a, a factory-made invention. These things don't actually exist, you know what I mean? There isn't some little... Made by journalists, you know, no offense, but... Yeah, no offense to these journalists out there, but they're always trying to compartmentalize things and the innate uh, artistic impulse that creates transcendental art is inherently out of a bound of a genre or a box or a marketing label or a demographic or whatever they want but you know marketability profit everyone's got rent to pay you got to put things in boxes you got to say it's this or that um you know incidentally the hype sticker for time wave zero does not actually say oh here's an ambient record or here's an experimental record or here's a yada yada it just says uh what does it say 
analog psychedelia. Yeah, you know, and for fans of three totally different sounding bands, you know what I mean? I think it says Tangerine Dream, Popol Vuh, and Dead Can Dance, you know. And even though Popol Vuh and Tangerine Dream are both crowd rock bands, they sound totally opposite. They don't occupy the same sphere except for that heady, progressive, transcendental uh, place. One is predominantly acoustic, one is entirely electronic, you know, and yet they're both crowd. So in the same sense, Blood Incantation while putting out a non-death metal record, is actually being more death metal than people who only listen to death metal putting out just another death metal record. So how do you feel about the idea of expectations for this record? Because people are expecting a metal record, like a like an actual metal record. No, they're not. We've been telling people for years. They're not, they're not. If they're not, if they're expecting it, this person's got no ear to the floor, no finger on the pulse, no social media, which is good on you. You know, that's probably an enjoyable lifestyle. But we've been telling people that our next record is going to be ambient since before our last record came out. And during the interview cycle for Hidden History, Isaac and I did fucking 200 interviews uh, where most of them we said in our next record. Because, you know, as soon as the record drops, the day, the day after, it's old news. Again, no offense to these journalists, but it's old news in the media. So they're like, you drop the brand new death metal record and like, when's your next record? And it's like, bro, you're asking me about a record that came out 26 hours ago, you know? But uh, same way, we were telling everybody now, it's been three calendar years just since that record. So, uh, you know, telling people the ambient record comes as a pilot cleanser, maybe, maybe they think that we're trolling them or joking around, but it's like, no, we literally put this in front of you for you to understand that we're telling you the truth. It's coming out, and now it's about to come out. And uh, the expectations for it, for people who are expecting a death metal record, I expect them to be a little more scrutinizing and, and uh, utilize a little more discernment in their internet activities so that they could have seen this very clearly, obviously anticipated thing coming from three or four years away. Um, you know, I mean, going back to when we were first talking about this, we talked to our record label, Century Media, and they warned us about the marketability of an ambient record because apparently one of their... Uh, A&R people convinced Samael to do an ambient record, and Samael put that record out, and it bombed, I guess, really, really badly. And so Century Media... Did it also, like, industrial electronic stuff? Yeah, so Century Media was, like, very hesitant when when we told them about this, and they told us, well, let's just market it as an EP, and we were like, okay, whatever, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, we had to modify our contract for a second, a separate agreement for the for the EP as to distinguish it from our third record. And then when they finally heard the full album, they told us, "Oh, guys, this is like maybe this should be an LP. Like this is like really as good as an album." We call it an album. It's really cinematic, and then we're Which like, is, you know, oh. no. I mean, I understand where they were coming from. It makes sense, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, when you finally hear it, it is an album. It's not, you know, but to us. It is also kind of funny to just release an EP that has longer tracks and a longer running time than any of our albums. And that's, you know, I've always thought that was funny. Moon Sorrow did that also, which I thought was really funny. So, I mean, it's it's kind of like it's a it, it encapsulates what we are all about, which is, you know, there's an artistic quality and there's also sometimes a little bit of maybe insider humor too. So, all true art is self-referential, and there's a tongue-in-cheek element to almost anything you could say is very hyper-serious in art. And that's just part of being an artist versus being a consumer. Someone who produces the art is going to have that, that uh, you know, 
just a little reference, you know what I mean? Just a, just a little nod, because as an artist, you understand nothing is original, nothing is unique, nothing is not, you know, nothing can actually stand out in a world where everything's already been done. Even nowadays, with the music and the subgenres and all the stuff, everything's already been said, everything's already done. The only thing you could really do in a marketing uh, context is to simply be distinctive and have someone be like, you know, you hear a Slayer beat in a certain type of riff you're going to be like, oh, that's a Morbid Angel riff or that's a Slayer riff, you know what I mean? You can hear it even though they're playing the exact same frets and that distinctiveness is the most you could uh, aspire to as a musician to be not just totally making cattywampus music for, for art's sake, but uh, the people who don't create music, everything is, uh, you know, by the time it gets on the other side of the media and the marketing and the journalism and it's all categorized and everything's in a nice little spot, people go into uh, products with everything laid out in front of them right now and so you know part of that humor for releasing a, a death metal band's the ambient record that's twice the length of their full lengths is you know that it's not we're not in your band buddy you know you bought our record we're, our record is for us to listen to because we like it and that's why we made it that way so y'all are about to uh perform this record in full at the, the gothic the, the gothic theater is it what was it uh so what plans do you have for this performance well, it's gonna be the oh. it's gonna be the four of us uh, playing the album live in its entirety, just the way that it was recorded. Um, I mean, the whole album was recorded live to tape. There were minimal overdubs, just like our other records. So it's going to be a live performance, just like that. Yeah, when you're listening to Time Wave Zero, you're listening to four people playing, usually with two two hands at once, looking at each other in time, counting, doing the counter melodies, just like a regular band makes their music. You're not listening to four people improvising with keyboards uh, just for the sake of noodling around. Although we do have a uh, bonus track on the special edition two CD digipack, which comes with a Blu-ray visual accompaniment disc and a 27-minute improvised bonus track. But even that bonus track is a lot more dynamic and uh, interesting than I think a lot of people would have anticipated our regular album mm -hmm. was. And it is just a bonus track. It's uh, It allows you to see the bigger scope of the actual mm -hmm. record through a different little lens and it also kind of shines some light on the improvisational nature of our songwriting process in the year prior to writing mm -hmm. the songs for time wave zero because they are written they're written with maps and key changes everyone has to count and do the right thing and play at the same time just like when we go play a show you'll see them do it or see us do it on the stage but uh all 2020 we just improvised together uh, at band practice. We took Isaac's drums down. I think we only practiced leading up to filming that uh, Century Media live in the rehearsal space and then the Adult Swim live video. That was like we practiced for a week or two before those. But other than that, all year, we didn't play any death metal until like after we recorded the uh, ambient record. And then we went to the East Coast and played some death metal. And as video evidence can indicate, we didn't lose any steam. Is it ever surreal looking back now versus the oldest demo days? Not just a blood incantation, but of prior bands to look at self-release tapes on your old label, uh, endless touring, and then look forward to now where you can, where you have the momentum to put out a bonus disc with Blu-ray visuals. Like, is it ever surreal to look back and go, "Man, this is where I am now." Every day, brother. Yeah, every I mean, day. We were, we were just talking about that the other day at practice that it's, I mean, of course, we are very fortunate to have uh, gotten to a point in our careers 
where we can release an, an ambient record and a, a label like Century Media will put it out worldwide. I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I think it really did kind of dawn on me just in the last couple of weeks when we were leading up to this release that this is like, that's a pretty crazy thing, especially, you know, going back to a band like Ulver or something uh, when they released Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And I can only imagine, you know, oh, it would have been awesome. just the kind of yeah. craziness of putting that album out, which, you know, I really like that. But I know a lot of people hate that album. So I, I, I definitely understand that there will be people that will just be like, what the hell is this band doing? But for us, it's just this makes the most sense. And it, it really is like the all this is the only thing that we could do right now. Like it makes the most sense for us. So. Uh, just saying that Ulver's The Marriage of Heaven and Hell is an incredible album, and uh, people who hate it just haven't really listened to it yet. And uh, I think that's, I think that's, that's going to be the case. Things, man. Yeah, no, I think that's going to be the case with people who are original naysayers for Time Wave Zero. They just they weren't expecting it, even though it was something that was out there. Like we're going to do this thing. Oh, brother, we've invented an entire subgenre of person. You know, there's people out there that define their whole personality on being like, I don't eat pizza or i don't like noodles or whatever i didn't i never seen this show or i don't ever went to the, the whatever they have to have this uh contrarian nature and now there's a whole subgenre of dudes out there they're like oh i never liked blood incantation because i'm the real one i'm the sick guy you know mom turn that down but you know <laughs> i hate that band so it's like whatever they're off to you know we, we literally couldn't care less when we started the band in 2011 the bands we were like, we want to combine these six or seven ideas and play it in the framework of these three or four styles. Uh, nobody cared, man. In 2011, records like Obscura and Erosion of Sanity, Formulas Fatal to the Flesh, these records had never been put on vinyl. Nobody cared. And, uh, you know, you could buy an OG Formulas tour shirt for 11 bucks, two bids in 2011. Nobody cared. You could buy a 80s Morbid Angel shirt for a whopping $30 in 2011 and 12 because nobody cared. And you could buy an 80s NJ Series BC Rich Ironbird for $250. You could buy six or seven of them. Nobody cared. Now, we've uh, perturbed the continuum of the contemporary metal landscape so sufficiently that not only are all of these things hundreds of dollars more, but there's these guys walking around that are like, oh, oh, well, I know the secret. This band sucks. And it's like, yeah, man. That's why your band made the price of the shit that you play more expensive. You're right. I'm sorry, man. You know? So. We like, we like weird stuff like, uh, you know, Stargazer, Lycathia Flame, Litter Gorguts, Superation, uh, this weird band called Absorbed from Spain. Uh, a lot of weird demo bands, obviously Time Ghoul and stuff like that. But really... The thing that we were like noticing was so lacking in the in the death metal community in 2011 was just sick death metal. Like I like it, you know, 2009. We actually talk about this all the time in practice, but in 2009, six to nine was when the kind of the first relevant modern death metal bands, bands like Necros Christos, Dead Congregation, Grave Miasma, Crucimentum. These bands were all putting out their demos and EPs in the early mid late late 2000s. Yeah, Dead Con and while I love all of those bands and those records, uh, we can't play that type of music. That shit's too heavy, too brutal, too dark. And uh, when that came out, it was totally flying in the face of the prevailing tech death industry and the, you know these like deathcore people thinking they play technical death metal, slam becoming like a weird ironic joke, 
all this stuff was just so corny. And this this is pre HM2 revival. This is like you know that was like 2009 and on. And uh, so when you know I have an HM2 pedal, obviously, but I've never used it on death on a, on a death metal record because that's not that's not cool, man. And uh, you know that sound was cool in Nihilist's second demo. You know what I mean? And there's some nice sunlight recordings and stuff like that. But we were never ever going to be like this is what we need to do. We need to play. You know what at the time was not even called old school death metal it was just old style or whatever death metal classic death metal but specifically to us nobody was playing morbid angel style death metal dude nobody and uh, nobody was playing the gorguts twisting insane infernal riffs uh nobody was playing death harmonies except for like weird uh techie shred uh death core people it was like there was nobody just playing sick 90s death metal nobody liked 1993 everybody wanted to play new metal Tech Death, Slam, whatever it was. And then, thank God, bands like Deadcon and Necros, Christos, and Crucimentum and Grave Miasma came out with these amazing demos and EPs and reignited the landscape for people to be like, oh, I like dark, brutal fucking death metal. You know what I mean? I don't need, like, techie, slammy, crazy stuff, and I don't need exceedingly derivative uh, HM2 whatever, you know? And when we started, man, it was it was a barren landscape. You know, especially when we booked our first tour, even as recently as 2015, finding the types of bands to play with. Like, you you could only play with a couple death metal bands on your tour. You know what I mean? You could play with, you know, some death metal bands, I'm sure. But uh, you couldn't be playing with any sick death metal bands. Whereas nowadays, you could play, you know, all your friends are in cool bands. There's death metal bands in every city, death metal scene in every city. Totally great. You can go to a show. And, you know, it used to be like if you saw a dude in a left-hand pass shirt on the street, you'd chat him up and be like, whoa, you like that classic shit. But now, you know, you see a guy in a death metal shirt on TV, you cross the street, and you're like, I don't want to talk to you about this, man. You know? Well, and this this just made, made me think, I was thinking about this the other day, that when I went to Maryland Death Fest in 2012, we jokingly called it Maryland Doom Fest because it was like Electric Wizard and Godflesh. And, you know, I mean, those bands are fine but it was just funny because in 2012 you know a year after we started the band maryland death fest was barely a death fest like you know it was mostly stoner doom some black metal you know there were a couple death metal bands like i think uh even morgion i was wanting to see that band but they dropped off i think but you know just at that time death metal wasn't cool even maryland death fest with death in the name wasn't headlining death metal bands you know and now of course uh, this year, Maryland Death Fest lineup is just like every sick band, you know, because everybody wants to see those bands now. But at the time, actually, I think in 2012, uh, Morbid Angel was playing, and I remember hearing a rumor that uh, Maryland Death Fest required them not to play anything off of Illude um, in order but to play the fest. Colorado on the Illude, Illude tour in 2011. Um, or maybe it was 12, actually. I was working at a record store with my buddy, and I was like, dude, you're going to go see Morbid Angel? And he's like, yeah, I mean, the new album is terrible, but I got to go support. And I was like, dude, I am not going to see Morbid Angel play Elude for $30. I will never do that in my life. I bet that show was very radical. And because the record sucks so bad, they played only fucking first two, three album stuff, and then some demo stuff. They, like, they did. That's when they did the. Uh, I think that was the Covenant tour, wasn't no, it? No, that was thirteen, man. This okay, was the one yeah. they toured with Grave, doing Into the Grave. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three. yeah, But they didn't even play it on that tour because it sucks so hard. 
Well, I, I know Jamie uh, from Wayfair and Stormkeep was telling me that he went to Parties On right after that album came out, and they sound checked the like the the snare from Radicult, and everybody in the audience just like got quiet and was just like, "Oh no, are they gonna play it?" And then they never played it. They never. They only played like the one that one Destruct Thor song that's like actually death metal on the record that. Trey didn't even write. You know? Blades of Fall. Yeah, that he one, wrote, yeah. He wrote that song. No offense to Trey. He got it straight the next time, but that was a that was a tragic misstep. As many people will say Time Wave Zero is, but I would challenge someone to say Elude is better than Time Wave. That's a low bar right there, though. That's a low bar. <laughs> so, all right. So I have a question for, for Isaac and Jeff. So, obviously, Paul has had experience making a type of cosmic kraut music. What was it like for you guys to kind of step in and join him on this journey with a different type of crowd music? Um, well, uh, it was, of course, a unique uh, thing because uh, we dropped out. We dropped out the the rhythm section, as it were. But in a way, um, Jeff and I, I think, kind of maintained a similar role. In that, you know, even though I, I think I play some lead parts and Jeff does some like melody parts as well, we mostly hang down holding the the kind of bass line of the of the music. You know, I mean, I still do gong. Uh, Jeff has a drum machine that he uses. So like there were aspects of our roles that we kind of still maintained. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been experimenting with keyboard music for i mean a very long time but this was kind of the first time that really dived into it this way um as opposed to like maybe some of the other stuff that i've done before which was not really in the the crowd well, you have direction. you have falcon's eye you recorded acoustic guitars and, and clean singing and viola and synths and stuff all over synths. that yeah 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 so i mean yeah this wasn't the first time but this was the first time of just you know all of us together, but I don't know. Jeff Jeff probably has some other things to say too. I also play tambura on it, which is you know the Indian classical instrument for the music. Um, that on on hidden history, hidden history as well, and even our live album that was recorded in twenty uh, eighteen, and before we played that tour, Morris and I recorded like a 15 minute long revised ambient track that appears on the b-side of uh the the tape and it's on the cd as well it's, yeah it was uh and we've been using that as our setup music for like four years yeah no, it's not the first time any of us have really experimented in that way um yeah like isaac was saying is the first time that we well, not actually, not the first time that we all did it together either. Because yeah, exactly, on, we on jam in the meantime, you know. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, on, on awakening, yeah. yeah, on awakening, we did the the ambient part. Which, when I was writing the song, it was always in my mind that there would be this like ninety second ambient break um, in the middle, and that was always you know intended that way. And we approached it uh, as just being like, okay, well, let's utilize a all the synths that you know we all own and then all the synths that were at our recording studio that um we were able to use like a moog one and a profit five 
and a uh, Jupiter 8 and all these like, super nice like, tens of thousands of dollars worth of synthesizers. But is what drove me to get the Moog that I have, the Moog Grandmother, is because it has a built-in sequencer and an arpeggiator. And uh, the second half of Awakening, it starts with guitar lead that Morris plays that Isaac had written both parts of the song. And when we had jamming it and put, piecing it together and we had talked about the 90 seconds of ambient to, to kind of point or bridge these two ideas together, um, we had the idea of using the sequencer and introducing the same guitar lead more or less through the sequencer and kind of having this homage to the side of the moon. So what should we expect uh, from the visual aspect of this album with the, the Blu-ray that comes with the, the, is it the two CD? Uh, what, what kind of visuals are we going to see? It's pretty similar to our Inner Paths to Outer Space music video. Um, we actually asked that guy, um, the Michael Scarin? Miles, Miles Scarin. We actually asked him to... Uh, to do the visuals for it, but he was busy working with uh, <clears throat> Stephen Wilson, who we'd also asked to do our 5.1 stereo surround mix. They were both working on the new Porcupine Tree, so he couldn't do it. And so they recommended this Wayne Joyner guy who's worked for like Dream Theater and uh, John Anderson from Yes and some other pretty huge people like uh, Kansas and uh, big name guys. And he does it all in Unreal Engine. And it looks like a VR type of uh, video, like Interpaths. And, you know, what. The inner past video is kind of a large amount of space compacted into a short song. Whereas the Time Wave Zero visuals are a lot more expanded pacing of that type of landscape. So you're going to be, you know, you're on alien planets, you're in space, you're going through crazy fallen temples from millennia past with crazy life forms and biology encrusted in the in the frozen sediment you're going through stargates you're going through portals you're going to other planets you're going through space it's it's like honestly it looks like if you were in a planetarium which is exactly what we were trying to make it look like and so wayne really killed but also it. on psychedelic substances oh yeah it's dark it's dark and trippy for sure if you ate the drugs before you went to the planetarium you'd have a great time i was curious because i see the uh, the alex gray art behind jeff and uh, i can kind of see that kind of visual as well, fitting this kind of music. Yeah. It sounds really awesome, so I'm really looking forward to that. But. It's cool. It's just different. You know, the music is really, really visual and evocative, and I think part of the uh, what makes it cool is that you know you don't have to you don't have to see anything to see where it takes you. And like you're gonna get the hues. Like the album cover is really exactly what this music sounds like, and the visuals are like. It's like you're exploring that landscape, and if all you had was the record in front of you with the art and the layout and the imagery, you'd be like, this is where I'm existing when I listen to this music. But if you have the Blu-ray, um, it just, for some people whose mind's eye might not be as, as um, quick to develop that type of imagery, you know what I mean? Like maybe they need a little more instruction, or this is just the perfect way to just drop in and really... Like let loose. You don't have to think about what you might be experiencing. It's like check out this crazy landscape. You're on a little journey and you're in space. You're going through some some portals. You're you're tripping in another dimension. You know. Sounds like a good pairing to the music. I uh, 
yes, really he been really enjoying was, listening he, to it. Yeah. He he killed it, Wayne Joyner. So I have one big question uh, for you that's kind of been mulling in my mind as we've been talking. You brought up uh, journalists imbuing things with like genre tags, and uh, but you also described your music as transcendental death metal. So I was curious, without wow. journalistic terms, without any of that, how would you describe Blood Incantation? in the time wave zero era, considering everything else that you've released. It's just cosmic music, you know, cosmic music for cosmic people. You know, you could listen to, um, a band like Popol Vuh or Tangerine Dream and they, they both didn't even appreciate being called cosmic because it was marketing at the time. The Cosmiche was actually this guy, Ralph Ulrich Kaiser, who ran, um, you know, brain records and ore records and these guys who, uh, they, it was all for marketing with the cosmic couriers and all this stuff. And they hated it because they were at the time stoned young hippie people. And then they were trying to intellectualize their philosophical approach and not, and be taken a little more seriously. So they, they felt that the cosmic term was actually strapping them back down to just, Oh yeah, we're on acid with Timothy Leary improvising in a studio in Switzerland, which is exactly what Ashra temple was doing. But once they, get out of that mode they're like i'm not a stone teenager anymore i'm 24 you know what i mean so they they want it to be more serious but we totally embrace the cosmic um uh nomenclature i guess or whatever moniker yeah. people you know that we do. yeah i would like to think i would like to think that in the future you know um people will look at what we do as a band and they'll just say it's blood incantation you know it's it's that's the sound you know people say it's like, how do you classify Ulver? You know, it's like, yeah, you'll say that's a black metal record, but even Bergtat is like a, it's it's already not even just a strictly black metal record, you know? And so same thing with like a band like Tool or Opeth or Porcupine Tree or, um, you know, Sun or something, you know, it's just like these bands that are like, have reached a level where the genre, you know, yeah, you'll be like, okay, that album's more this or this album's more this, but it's just when you hear the name, you think, okay, that's what that sounds like. And so... In the whole spectrum, you're like, you have to consider the whole spectrum when you hear a band's name like that. And that's what we, we've wanted to do since we started. Is uh, There's too many death metal bands. Every, death, every sick death metal record was already made. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to take little elements of each of those put them together in the most streamlined way that pleased us as the listeners the most. And then we did the same approach for this, for this ambient record. It's got, you know, dark electronic prog, analog psychedelia. It's got drone, it's got dark ambient, it's got world music. It's got neoclassical chamber ambient music. It's got kraut rock. You know, it's a, it's just like blood incantations, metal records in that it's not simply a death metal record or an ambient record. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast, via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond. (laughs) 